So this is the sixth week we've been talking about our core values. We call it under the hood. And what we, what we talk about is how, you know, the car can be really shiny, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't go, if it doesn't do what it was designed to do, it's kind of pointless. And when you translate that into the church, it doesn't do a lot of good to enamor people by Sunday morning if the rest of their church family experience isn't good. So every now and then we need to pop the hood, check the oil, make sure we do the service and the maintenance to make sure that as a family that things are operating well. Amen. And so we, we don't want people to be just enamored by Sunday morning. We want them to be enamored the more they get, the more they get involved in the church and, and learn that the family loves them unconditionally and supports them unconditionally. Amen. So we're walking through our core values and you can go back and see them on, um, on YouTube and, and on our website. Today, we're going to talk about the, uh, our fifth core value called the process. And we're going to walk through this. I think, I think they're all important, but I think this along with last week about being resourceful, I think the process is something that I believe in a hundred percent in the church should be extremely supportive of. So we're going to talk about this. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 13 and read through 24. If you'd stand in honor of reading the word. I won't ask you to stand anymore until we're done. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Look up on the screen. It's still in your paper Bible if you have one. Uh, you can go to the Bible app and uh, hit the events thing and find Hope Community Church. And you'll even have the notes. uh, there to follow along with. So Matthew chapter 16, say amen if you're ready. Starting in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. That was a big proclamation right there. You're the Messiah, son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Father, we thank you this morning for the process that you walk us through coming more like you. God, we pray. Lord, maybe some people would start that process today. Maybe some people are in the middle of it. Maybe some people trying to figure out 
what's happening. I pray that you'd encourage them, that you want to make them more like you today than any other day, that we're here for that purpose. So Lord, as we look into your word, we pray that you change our minds, fill us with your spirit, that we'd be transformed when we leave to be not more like us, but more like Jesus. Thank you for this moment. And everyone said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Jesus and the disciples were walking around villages in a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was at the base of a mountain. And he asked a pretty peculiar question, if you if you, uh, if you, have my opinion about it. He said, um, who do people say that I am? That's not a question that I ask very often. I don't know. Actually, I've never asked it. I don't sit in staff meetings and go, hey, what are people saying about me? But I'm not the Messiah, obviously. So Jesus asked them, points a question to the disciples. Who, what's the chatter about me? Who are people saying that I am? The disciples come back. Some say you're John the Baptist. John was dead by now. And some say you're John the Baptist. Some say this prophet. Some say that prophet. Some say Jeremiah. Some, and really what he was, the feedback he was getting, well, there's no, there's no consensus about who you are. There is, um, people have a lot of a different opinions about who you are. And so, so Jesus then posed the question directly to the disciples. Well, who do you think that I am? And Peter, uh, being the guy who's consistently jumping out front, decides he's going to be the spokesman for the whole group. Now it doesn't say anybody disagreed with him. It doesn't say anybody went, come on, Peter, shut up. He just steps kind of out of the group and says, we believe you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus then commends Peter by saying, listen, you did not get this through your natural ability to think about things, but God himself revealed this to you. And Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will never prevail against it. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Could you imagine how Peter felt at that time? It was like winning Who Wants to Be a Millionaire without having to ask somebody for help. Anybody remember that show? It was like, the, like you won the prize. Jesus literally looks at him and says, man, the, the father above told you, revealed that to you, and now you confess it out loud, and this is an amazing thing. And on this revelation, I'm going to build the church, and you're going to have the keys you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to bind and loose. You're going to have, you guys are going to have overcoming power. Hell itself won't be able to stand up against it. And you think, man, that's kind of the pinnacle of your God experience, isn't it? When God comes down and says, you're right in your life. I am, aren't I? This is pretty good. Jesus tells him, don't say anything about this. The problem with Peter's confession that Jesus was the Messiah is that was a little bit flawed. The way they thought about the Messiah was not a suffering savior. The way they thought about the Messiah was, it wasn't their fault. It had been ingrained in them to think a certain way about the Messiah coming and, and that he would, and, and that he would end Roman oppression and, and all these things and it would be a political, it would be a political win and, and he would be king and it would be all this great stuff. And so right, 
right after this confession from Peter that you're the, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, Jesus starts to in detail explain what that's going to mean. And so verse 21, Jesus starts to go into, hey, I need to let you know that me being the Messiah is going to entail me suffering at the hands of the chief, chief priests and teachers of the law. Suffering and being brutalized and beaten and tortured to the point of being crucified. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Now, if you were Peter, you'd probably be thinking, well, wait a second here. You just told me that on the revelation I had, you're going to build a church and this thing was going to skyrocket. And I get my own TV show and I have, you know, a lot of followers. Now you're talking about dying. So Peter's translating this as something that he cannot let happen. He's got to put a stop to this mess. After all, how's a church going to go forward? How, how, how is he going to really set this thing up, the kingdom of God? How's he going to set it up if he's going to die on us? If he's going to let himself be taken captive, punished, die, and who knows what rise again in three days means. So Peter steps out and he says, never. That's not going to happen on my watch. And then we see this massive transition from Jesus saying, you're Peter and on this rock I'm going to build my church to saying, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking with the mind of God. I want to talk to you this morning about the process. I think Peter in a very short period of time is, is just walking through the process. You see it. He's like super up. And then next thing you know, he's Satan. He's trying to navigate what this whole thing of following Christ looks like. Well, what we see is after he tells Jesus, no, you will never do that. That's not going to happen. You can't. I will not let that happen. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then he goes, Jesus goes into telling them, look, this has to happen. And then he says right at the end, verse 24, he says, and in order for you to follow me, in order for you to be where you need to be, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. We talk about the process of becoming more like Christ here. And uh, it's a process for everybody. The thing about the process has got to start somewhere. So maybe you're sitting in this room today and you say, you know what, I haven't even made a decision to follow Christ yet. And I, I would say to you today, it'd be a great day to make that decision. You won't regret it. Today will be a great day. Tomorrow will be a great day. Today will be better, but tomorrow will be a great day. The idea is just start. Everybody has a starting point, and everybody's starting points are totally different. Me, uh, I've told some of you, I remember being in Hopewell, Virginia. That's where we lived the first little part of my life, and my we moved from Dover, Delaware, where I was born. My dad was stationed at Dover Air, Air Force Base. And so we, we moved to Southern Virginia, Bola Richmond, where all my dad's family was from. We moved back there. And I remember being in a little Assemblies of God church. And I remember the room being blue. I might've been four or five years old. And I remember an older lady uh, being in the room teaching Sunday school. And I remember her asking if, if we wanted to accept Christ. And I was like, is there snacks? 
Like if I could get Jesus and some crackers, I'll sign up for Jesus. Anybody else come to Jesus that way for the crackers? Sorry about our communion crackers. That's not worth coming to Jesus over. (laughs) I'm thinking these people are trying to kill us every time we eat these things. I remember the, that's the way I came to Jesus. Now my process, my process, trust me, was not an innocent four-year-old process after that. There was times where I had rough patches and, 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 and I, you wouldn't probably be able to look at me until I was following Christ through certain seasons of my life. But, but that's the way it started. Somebody say amen for the way things start. You got to start somewhere. So what we find out from the disciples, they all started following Christ in different ways. They all started on their own, their own way. We find out that Peter and Andrew were brothers. And they, they were following John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist introduces everybody to Jesus and they start following Jesus. So you could say they had, you know, they were already kind of in the church thing following John the Baptist and Jesus comes along. So maybe you've been coming to church for a while, sort of like Peter and John, coming to church for a little bit and then they get introduced to the Savior. We find out that Peter was the only one married. That made it, made it more complicated. Good thing Peter didn't have cell phone back then. His wife might have been calling saying, are you ever coming home? Just hanging out with Jesus all the time. Find out that um, James and John, Bible records that they were pretty passionate guys. With fervor, Jesus named them. Sons of thunder. I think their start was probably a little different. Those guys had a temper. There was, um, there was Philip, who we hardly know anything about. He had his own start. Nathaniel came from Canaan, Galilee. Matthew was a tax collector. I guarantee the way Matthew came to Christ was totally different than the way Peter did. Thomas was a twin and the first of the three gospels only mentions his name, James the Less. Now, <laughs> I thought about this. I thought, if, if, if I was James, this James, in heaven, I'd be like, Jesus. Why am I James the Less? For eternity, I'm going to be known as the lesser James. There's James. We all know James. And there's James a little bit less. For all eternity, you get to heaven and be like, are you James? Not the James you're thinking of. I'm the lesser one. But I'm here, so hey, James the less. <laughs> I tell people all the time, the Bible's funny. You just, don't, you just don't read it right. James the less, son of Alphaeus. Simon was a zealot. The way he came to Christ was totally different. He was a political activist bent on destroying Roman rule. He wanted, to, he wanted to go in and, man, we could do this. Come on. So the way he came to Jesus was totally different. And then there was, there was a guy named Judas, the son of James. Not Judas Iscariot, but Judas, the one that didn't betray him. We don't know anything about him either. And all we know is about Judas Iscariot is that Jesus picked him and he betrayed him. We really don't know anything about his background. They all started, but the key is they all started different. So my, my whole purpose today is that 
is that you to be relaxed in the way you met Jesus. And if you haven't met him, relax. You can meet him your own way. So, so you might have heard me say this before, what we do, what we used to do in church. And, and look, there's no blame to be passed around. We were, we were trying to figure out how, how to do it and what the best way was. We want everybody to come to Jesus the same way. How is that? You come to church. Now, in old school, you would come Sunday night. Yeah. And what we would do is we'd preach fire, hell, brimstone. Everybody's going to hell, even the people that are here. Every, we got to make sure everybody's going to hell. That's number one. Everybody's going. But if you come to Jesus today. And then we would do an altar call. Anybody remember altar calls? Yeah. And then you come down, come down to the front, kneel down. Some old person would spit on you. Not on purpose, but you know. And then um, we'd want, and we wanted people to raise their hands. We wanted everybody to come to Jesus the same way. We wanted to kind of make it uniform. Now we got it. We got, you know, now we've got soccer practice on Sunday night. So we don't have Sunday night service anymore. You know what I'm saying? So we just do Sunday morning. So at the end of Sunday morning service, we'll put the lights down, dim. We'll make the band come back up. You know, the Holy Ghost smoke starts rolling out again. And then we'll say, man, if any of you want to accept Christ, raise your hand. And then, and then your neighbor's like, come on. Why did you to church to get saved? Just like I did. Raise your hand. And then, and then you raise your hand. You know what I figured out? I'm comfortable with you coming to Jesus on your couch, on your way to work. When your marriage is on the rocks, I'm comfortable with you coming to Jesus. I'm comfortable to coming to Jesus when, when there's a pandemic. I'm comfortable meeting him wherever he wants to meet you. The thing is, you just start. So, so I'm no better because I met Jesus with crackers in a Sunday school class. I'm no better than you if you met Jesus right after you got high. The point is we all met Jesus, amen? So that's the start of the process. So that's not how you started, but the fact that you started that we should be clapping about, amen? So all these guys Jesus are talking to, it started the process. And we get to the point where Peter's making a confession that Jesus is the Messiah. And we find out that he's still in the process. Because as soon as he makes a confession, we find out that the devil's still in him. Anybody want to raise your hand and confess? I started the process. But there's a little devil still in me. Nobody else. That's fine. There's some people in Berkeley Springs who still have the devil in them. And I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Jesus did not permanently condemn Peter for saying, for saying, you can't do this. Jesus knows Peter's in the process. So that's why Jesus didn't look at Peter and say, hey man, forget it. You can't, no, I'm taking it back. You can't have the keys anymore. You're not binding and loosening anything. You're not going to be, I'm not building it on this rock. I'm not doing this. No, no, no. He does say, get behind me, Satan, but he follows it up with this. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. What's he saying? He's saying, Peter, this is the process. I know 
and you're in the way you think you don't want this to happen and you've got it all figured out and you think the most, the worst thing that could happen is me to go to the cross. But I'm telling you that God doesn't want to make you a better Peter. He wants to make you less like Peter and more like God. So what he does is he explains to Peter what the process looks like. See, sometimes we get hung up on the discipline when discipline is part of the process. So we got our feelings hurt with get behind me, Satan, and we fail to hear that then the Messiah is now presenting the process to be more like him still. He wasn't casting Peter off like it didn't matter. He was saying, no, 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 no. You're in the process. And I understand that you don't want it to happen this way. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to lean in the process. And the process is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So let's talk about that. Denying and dying. Denying and dying. I've been reading this devotional. I've, I've quoted it a couple times in sermons recently. From Oswald Chambers, my great-grandfather gave me this book. It's called The Place of Help. It's a lesser-known devotional book that he wrote. He says this, as a spiritual disciple, I have to lose my individuality forever. Individuality is self-assertive and independent. It's all elbows. It is natural for a child to be strongly marked by individuality, but it is a despicable thing for a man or woman to be hidebound by individual peculiarities. It means that the person has never been transfigured. Never been filled with the Holy Ghost. Never come to the source of spiritual reality. Our Lord can only be defined in terms of personality. Never in terms of individuality. I and my Father are one. And our Lord's conception of human personality is that it can be merged and made one with God without losing its identity. If we are going to be disciples, we have to break the bands of individuality which cabin and confine and launch out and abandon to Christ Jesus. Peter's in the process. He's not in the process of becoming a better Peter. He's in the process of becoming like Jesus. All right, come on. Here's the problem in our culture today. We think being a Christian makes us a better us. <laughs> Ask yourselves how many people would really like you if you were a better you. Yeah. Yeah. So the way to fix some of the things in your life is not to be more like you. Amen? Because you are already irritating to some people. I know that's a shocker to some of you because you're like, everybody likes me. Listen, sweetie, they don't. They don't. Trust me when I tell you this, they don't. So what happens is Jesus in us Changes us not to become more Chris, but become more Jesus. Because if, if I'm to become more Chris, there is no hope. Ask my wife. <laughs> Praying every day. Make him more like you, Lord. Make him more like you. The issue is this. Individuality. What, what our culture tells us, don't just be yourself. Just be more. But you need to be an individual. You need to have all these, all these characters that are just common to you and your individual. No. The Bible says, Jesus said himself, if you're going to follow me, the first step is to deny yours. Take up your cross. Paul would say that he would crucify the flesh daily. That, that the goal was not to be more us, 
but to be less us and more like Jesus. So you know what that tells me? There's going to be a lot of tension in the room all the time. Because the devil in me wants me to be more Chris, wants me to be inconsiderate, wants me to have a hot temper, wants me to, wants me to do all the things that come naturally to me. Oh, yeah. But the Holy Spirit in me is that constant wrestling match with saying, Chris, you got a choice to be more like you or to be more like Jesus. And Jesus tells the disciples, when you come to a place like this, where you think you know what you're supposed to do, and then you do that thing, and, it, and it's not what you're supposed to do, you're thinking totally like yourself, here's the formula. Deny yourself, take up your cross, deny and die, deny and die. It's the centerpiece of the process, not being a more powerful version of ourselves, but becoming so much unlike ourselves that people may not recognize us. Okay, so let me, let me, uh, let me tell you how this works a lot of times. Anybody remember when you came to Christ? Man, it was exciting. Maybe you experienced more freedom than you were. Maybe you were delivered from drugs. Maybe you were, maybe you were, um, maybe you experienced love like you never had before. And what, what happened? You would go back to your friends and they'd be like, dude, what's up with you? You're not the same. And you say, man, you know what? I know it's going to sound crazy. I know it's going to sound silly, but I don't, like, I met this Jesus and, and I, I, it did, it, it, it changed me. And they're like, but we're, we're getting lit tonight. Come on. And you say, I don't do that anymore. And they're like, who are you? For some of you, that happened in an instant. For some of you, it took a couple months. For some of you, it might have taken a year. But at some point in time, the people around you started going, oh, you're not acting like you anymore. But here's the problem. If we don't, if we don't stay in the process, if we don't continue to deny ourselves after the butterflies wear off. Anybody been serving Jesus a little while, the butterflies wear off after the beginning. Amen? Now, I know if you just got saved, you think these are going to last forever. No, when you have to take yourself to the cross, the butterflies have worn off. So, so Jesus is talking to Peter, not about butterflies, but about being headlong into the process to be able to say, listen, there's a part of you, Peter, that has to die every day. There's a part of you that has to give up. There's a part of you that can't, you can't let control you. There's a part, part of the process is not always thinking that, that you are the right thing, but knowing that Jesus is. So he's like, you gotta, you gotta deny yourself, Peter. So that becomes work. Amen. That becomes work. We're on this little trying to eat healthy thing. And then somebody brought pizza last night. I was like, after the third piece, I'll deny myself, but not until then. Paul spells this out in his letter to the Galatians in chapter two, verse 20. He said, listen to how he describes this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, did Paul physically get crucified with Christ? No. Paul wasn't even, we don't even know if he was in the area when it happened. He wasn't crucified with Christ, but he's saying symbolically, I've chosen to die the way Christ died. Christ did not die for himself. He died for you. And so we are not dying for ourselves. We're dying to be more like Jesus. So he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. He said, I'm not trying to be a better Paul, 
but Christ lives in me. Paul would say over and over again, I don't want you to see me. I want you to see Jesus. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a daily occurrence. So I've got a saying, two steps forward and one step back is still one step forward. Come on, somebody say amen. Two steps forward, one step back is still two steps forward. Peter takes two steps forward in his confession that Christ is the Messiah. A little while later, he says, you're not going to do that. That's a step back. But he wasn't out of the game. There may be somebody in this room this morning who feels like you've taken a, taken a step back. I want to say with all the confidence I can muster, you are still in the process. You might have blown it last week. By the way, who didn't? But you might feel like, man, that felt, felt like, felt like I just went backwards. I was, I was doing so. Can you imagine what was going through Peter's head? Like, maybe, I don't know how long it took, maybe a couple days. You're the, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter, man, God gave you that revelation himself. A little time goes by. Jesus starts talking about dying and being crucified, resurrecting. Peter goes, that ain't going to happen. Whatever I bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever I loose on earth will be loose in heaven. I'm taking charge. That ain't going to happen. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't think that felt like a setback? You don't think that felt like a setback? Come on, you experience it in your marriage sometimes. One day can be perfect. You're going to tractor supply and lows. You know what happens the next day. You're getting. <laughs> you better go outside, Satan. Two steps forward. Now, I don't ever call your wife Satan. That was crazy. Wow. Peter, with his acknowledgement that Jesus is the Messiah, seems to have put him in the front of the pack, only to find out soon enough that his process wasn't over. I, I, need, I need you to understand something to me about the process. Jesus never judges you by an instance in the process. See, we get all caught up in the thing that happened. I started thinking about, how many of you have car insurance? Hopefully all of you. It's kind of a law. Yeah, so I have a, my good friend is, is, uh, is my insurance agent. And so um, he gets me the best insurance. State Farm. You know, you've seen the commercials. I haven't got any stakes yet. I'm kind of waiting on that. Here's how insurance works. You pay your premium up front. Right? That's the way insurance works. Just to make sure. You pay your premium up front. You work out the details about how much coverage you want. You work out the details about how much your deductible is going to be. And you pay the premium up front. Then in a year, when you wreck your car... You don't call the insurance agent and say, hey, do I have insurance on this? No, you call them to inform them that you have wrecked your car and now they need to pay for it. So, you prepared in advance for something that could happen in the future so that you wouldn't get thrown 
into a financial catastrophe. Jesus prepared in advance for every failure that you will make. Come on. You should be more excited about that than you're leading on. Jesus, so failure is a part of the process. But listen, you shouldn't be comfortable with it. You should just know that God has already prepared for it. So he didn't say, you come to me and I have the ability to forgive you of all your past sins. No, he, he says, when, now that you've come to me, I can forgive all your past sins, but the insurance policy covers you all the way to the end of the process. So the beautiful part is, he's already paid the premium and there is no deductible. Oh, I was just reckless driving now, man. I'm like, he's got it. No, 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 no. That, that, I didn't mean that. <laughs> We shouldn't go on sinning that grace may abound. Some of you have been at the top one moment and down at the bottom and you don't know how you're going to recover. And I'm just here to tell you it's part of the process. That the son of the living God did not come and die on the cross to have an insurance policy with a big deductible and you're going to have to make it up somehow. He said it's paid for. No deductible. Zero copay. Just confess that you had the accident. All you got to do is call and say the car is busted. It's part of the process. He's already paid for it. So he doesn't condemn Peter eternally. He says, what you just did was kind of stupid. And I want you to remember the process. I understand you're still working toward, through it. You're still working towards, I want you to, un, I know, I know that Peter, now's the day you got to remember, you got to deny yourself. As much as you don't want all this to happen, this is not about what you want. This is not about becoming more like, this is about becoming more like me. And the only way to do that is through the process, to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Peter was getting a lesson. And how the process works. Can I say this one more thing to you? Um, there's a lot of drag marks to the cross. Yeah. Sometimes I go to the cross like this. The cross is up there. I'm leaning back as far as I can. With my heels in the dirt. Because I'm going to tell you something. There's things in my life I don't want to give up. You can leave me hanging up here, but I know you do too. So sometimes the Holy Spirit or one of my friends or somebody comes alongside of me and say, hey man, it's worth dying today. Don't, don't dig your heels in. And I don't know about you, but I lean back even further and I dig those heels in. And there's drag marks all the way to the cross. And that's part of the process. Paul said, I crucify I I was crucified with Christ and now it's not me that lives, but it's him that lives within me. And I could tell you every day we go to the cross, some days we run to it and some days we crawl and some days somebody has to drag us to it, but we got to die every day. And then the last thing he talks about is following when the band's going to come up. While Peter had the confession that Jesus is the Christ He was called, it was 
Jesus said, it's, this is the rock that I'm going to build the church on. Now, watch how the language changes. Peter, you're the rock. On this confession, I'm going to build my church. The rock. The foundation stone. Cornerstone. This is what it is. Just a little bit farther along, he said, now you're a stumbling block. Can I tell you this? Jesus wants you to follow close, not get out in front. He wants you to follow close, not get out in front. So what happens in our lives is we either have the tendency to follow too far behind where we can't see him, or we tend to get in front of him and try to tell him what to do. Oh, I know none of you've prayed like that. Like, Lord, this ain't going to work. You're going to have to come up with another plan. And by the way, I wrote one down. And if you had any good sense, you'd listen to what I was saying. Anybody else prayed like that? So we're either too far behind or out in front. And the thing that should be the foundation of our lives causes the stumbling. So in a very short portion of scripture, Peter goes from being called the foundation to the one Jesus is tripping over. We can't get out in front of him. We can't get out in front of him. We can't get too far behind. We got to stay in that sweet spot where we can see him and where we're submitting and where we're crucifying our flesh, but we're following him day after day after day. John 18, John 8, chapter 12, he says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Come on. He says, if you follow me close enough, I'll illuminate the whole thing. Don't get out in front. Don't get out in front of me. Don't, don't lag too far behind, but just stay right up close. Walk to the cross every day. Become less like yourself, become more like me, and just stay close. Now, here, stand to your feet. I'm going to leave you this, this last thing. This is where the church comes in. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I need a friend to drag me to the cross. I need a friend to understand my life's not over yet. I need a friend to understand that I, I was on the top one day, but now I've failed and, and that things aren't working out. And I need somebody to come alongside me and say, hey, man, you know what? Let's, let's get back into the game. Let, let's, let's deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If Jesus didn't cast Peter off, he's not going to cast you off. But here's the thing. The church has to be okay with the process. We've got to be okay with the process. So that means when you're up, somebody else might be down. That doesn't mean they're out. So we have to be understanding and compassionate and, and, and willing to walk with people through the process, willing to drag some people, willing to say, hey, listen, I understand this is tough, but I'm not leaving your side. Amen? That we are in it from the start all the way to the end. And that the church can't get shocked when people fail. We can't, we can't get devastated. We can't be disappointed. We have to just remember how Jesus acted. Hey, that was kind of dumb, but don't forget the process. And he didn't leave. Jesus didn't go anywhere. He said, hey man, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. And we're going to do that again tomorrow. And I'll be here the next day and the next day and the next day. And then when he finally ascended, he said, listen, I want you to go out and teach everybody everything I've ever told you. And guess what? I'll never leave you. You're still in the process. You're still walking. You're still failing. You're still winning. You're still confused sometimes. You're still up. You're still down. And guess what? I'll never leave your side. And so at any point, the church 
supposed to say beside people who are in the process, we fail the whole thing. It's the whole point that if Jesus never leaves us, we never leave each other. So I'm going to tell you something, we're really hard to make it difficult for people to walk out, for make it difficult for people to leave. We ought to be in the process with them through the whole thing. Amen? Process through the whole thing. We are committed to each other. We are with you and for you. And when you need encouragement, when you need help, when you need talked off a cliff, when you need drug to the cross, the church is your place. When you need understanding, the church is your place. When you don't know where to go, the church is your place. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that's the type of people you are. And I'm thankful that every new person that walks in this building can experience it. Amen. It's the process. And we're part of it. Amen.